Does the world really need another podcast? There are over 5 million podcasts available globally with 70 million episodes that you can catch in 150 languages. So why go to the trouble of adding yet another? In Luke chapter 5, when Jesus finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. So if one heart can be touched, if one mind can be renewed, and if just one life could be transformed, then I think it's worth it. This is one more cast. You know, we've started this whole time management series, which is obviously one of my favorite candy sticks, and we did put your dream to the test for a couple of weeks. My intention was to go straight into Michael Hyatt Full Focus or Free to Focus. He's got a couple different uh, books out there. But since we'll just have this one class and then it'll be three straight weeks of all in or broken out sessions of men and women, we will um, do something a little bit different tonight. I want to share something that, that's really helped me and helped my life and I think helped help my ministry, my walk with God, my covenant with my Creator. One of the things I've learned in life is that there aren't really there aren't really any experts. Now we have experts that land machines, robots on Mars. We have people who are scholarly. We have people who have you know high education, but one of the things that I've learned is for every person that will raise their hand and say, hey, I'm an expert, there's like 10 other experts that will debunk what that expert just said. And I've been very blessed to be around some super like freakish alien type intellects in my life. My brother-in-law, Greg, and I'll edit this, all this stuff out later, but <clears throat> my brother-in-law, Greg, has a PhD in organic chemistry. So, you know, Thanksgiving is awesome. <laughs> and... I used to work with a guy, his name was Baz Malik. He's a Pakistani guy, but he actually was born and raised in Speedway. So he, he looks Pakistani, but he sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> the weirdest thing ever. And so I remember when I first met with him, it was over a Zoom meeting during COVID, and I just assumed, like, get ready to listen to the accent. I, I thought something was wrong because he sounds so like us. Like, he was raised in Speedway. His dad was a doctor and got, the point is this, Dude's a freak. <laughs> Intellect, like his motor is unbelievable. And then um, one time during 2021, I was at this meeting and I was sitting at the table with my boss, the CEO of this big company. And he had this lady that had come to be uh, on the board of this big company. And she was one of 38 women who were CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. So she's not, I don't want to call her a freak because that's not nice, but a couple other guys that were in ministry uh, one's, one's name was Mark Bassett, who MIT education, again, probably, you know, alien. And then, of course, my former pastor, Brother Readout. So all these people are like, like they're, when they're in the room, they're the smartest person in the room by like a hundred times. I've never met anybody like these guys that I've just mentioned. No one in, in, the, in the same galaxy as these guys. But what's interesting is, I can, I'm not going to say their names, but I know these two people disagreed on things. And I know these two people disagreed on things. And it's like the moment you think that you know it, 
There'll be 10 other people to tell you that you don't in 40 ways. And so the reason why I give that little bit of a preface is I'm going to share with you something tonight that maybe not all Bible scholars totally agree with. It's not like it's false doctrine at all, but, but there could be you know, subtle nuances, and I'm totally open to being wrong. Okay, But the topic is spiritual maturity. So I hope I can get that right. <laughs> spiritual maturity. We actually took that picture in the Redwood Forest out in uh, San Francisco, by the way. I always like to use my own little stock photos. Really, spiritual maturity... Anybody want to take a gander? Like, what does that mean to you? What does spiritual maturity even mean? There's no wrong answer. Yeah, Chris. Like growing in Christ and showing the fruit of the Spirit. In yeah, I think that's right. Anybody else? Exercising spiritual discipline. That's good. What does that mean to you? Uh, prayer, fasting. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really good, too, because you don't always feel like it, right? But you know you've you got to do it because that's what mature Christians do. You know, you don't always feel like getting out of bed and going to work every day, but <laughs> you got to do it. That's what mature people do. I just want to be a Toys R Us kid again, man. <laughs> Any, anybody else? Spiritual maturity. Brother Ray, were you scratching? You got your hand up? Scratching. <laughs> So I think that's all right. It's all correct. And we could probably, if we really thought about it, we could probably all add some really good input. But what I want to kind of do is break down what we're made of. And then when we get towards the end, I'll show you what I think. And I'm not the only one. I would never like just make something up and then come and deliver it as if it was just something incredible. But this gentleman named Arthur Custance, who's passed away, he was um, Ph.D., What's that science of studying origins? Um, human origins. Anthropology. anthropology. He was an anthropologist, yeah. Uh, he took the Bible from a scientific and Christian worldview. So he taught this. There's another guy named Bill Gothard. Anybody ever hear of Bill Gothard? So Bill Gothard has some incredible stuff out there. He taught in this manner. I think the Bible teaches in this manner. I think the Apostle Paul as a matter of fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, he says this to the church at Thessalonica, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, not H-O-L-Y like the McGrath just sang about, but entirely, completely, thoroughly, every molecule of you, I pray that the God of peace would sanctify 100% of that. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's where this, this thought process may veer off of where other experts think. Some Bible scholars think that the spirit and the soul are synonymous. And, and maybe it is. I don't think it is, and I'm going to show you scripturally why I don't think it is. The primary reason why I don't think it is is because the Apostle Paul didn't think it was. He, he could have said, hey, spirit in one place and then soul in another place. We, we know that we're riding around in a meat vehicle, so we know we have a body, right? So if Paul points out that there's spirit, soul, and body, then there's probably something to the spirit, soul, and body. You might recall reading this at least one time during your bread program, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils breath, pneuma, spirit. So he might have sculptured him like 
you know, an Olympian made out of dirt on the ground until he breathes into him. Or he might have just been a pile of dirt shaped, you know, six feet, which is like the perfect height, by the way. <laughs> but either way, the Lord formed man. And, you know, that was Adam. And he breathed into his nostrils. And then there was a result that happened. And the result is, and man became a living soul. Meaning before the formation, before the breathing, there was no soul there. But there was a formation, so there's body in some shape or form. And then there's spirit, there's breath of God going into him. And then some sort of a catalyst takes place when the breath or the spirit comes into that body. And now man is a living soul. And C.S. Lewis, if you like Bible scholars that smoked pipes and lived with women that weren't his wife, says that you don't have a soul, but you are a soul. Like, okay. Like, how do, how do we even know? Like, what do you know? We, we don't know exactly, but that was his opinion. It seems to make sense. And you'll see why I think I might agree with that. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7 says this, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. So when you die, the worms crawl in, the worms crawl out, the worms go in and out your snout. So we return, we decay. Back to dust, back to dirt. Now, not to get too crazy, but isn't it interesting to think about the fact that maybe people that lived 6,000 years ago decayed and maybe we have a part of them with us? <laughs> like, I mean, or maybe you ate a salad one time that had a little bit of Adam dust on it, <laughs> you know? I don't know how that works. You know, it's hard for me not to find humor in everything, but. But we know that the dust returning to the earth, not too many scholars would disagree that that's the body decaying back to organic matter, right? And then it says, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. And that seems to go along with Genesis 2-7. If God gave mankind spirit, his life force, his nuclear generator, if you will, when you die, that spirit leaves you. It doesn't say it in this part, but it painfully obvious that it leaves it out. And, and I think the narrator of scripture, the wisest man who ever lived, wants us to know that the soul lives on forever. The body will turn back to dust. The spirit's going to go back to God who gave it. And the soul, you are a soul, lives on forever. Doesn't that seem to make sense? Is it crazy talk? We don't often talk about all these components of a human being, but it's, Scripture seems to point to that, right? So here's the thing. We're going to break down those three parts, body, soul, and spirit. So this is Jesus. Uh, how many know that God became a man? Heard that one time. Uh, I'm actually personally, and this is just my opinion, I'm not a huge fan of the terminology that, uh, that God robed himself in flesh. I don't know that that's, I don't know that matters. Cause I think it, we all know what that kind of means, but I think more accurately, he became flesh. The word became flesh. God became a human being. There was a guy that I used to go to his house on Thursday nights for Bible study. His name was Levi Wright. I think he's still alive and he pastors in Georgetown, Kentucky. At the time, he was the um, science director at Terre Haute South High School. He wrote a book called The Biological Aspects of Christ. And he says that God became 23 chromosomes, joined with Mary's 23 chromosomes, and became a human being, 46 chromosomes, when the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. Do you need to know that to be safe? Probably not, but it's pretty cool, right? So he was describing biologically, scientifically, how God became a man or what happened when God became a man. This, in Luke chapter 24, 
is the Lord Jesus Christ talking as a human being after the resurrection saying, behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, it's me, handle me and see for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. So we're talking about the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. In one of the Corinthians, it looks like I forgot to write which one, 927, <laughs> uh, Paul says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. This is kind of like what Merrick was talking about. Your body doesn't feel like fasting, but yet we know we have to fast. Your body doesn't always feel like praying in your mind and in your flesh, but, you know, we still have to do that. That's what Paul is talking about. He's saying, I'm riding around, and I say this a lot only because it makes sense to me. I'm riding around this meat vehicle, but I'm not going to let the meat vehicle dictate where we go. It's not a self-driving Tesla. I'm going to drive this thing. I'm going to do what I think is right based on my spiritual maturity. And that's what Paul's talking about. Don't let this body, don't let this body dictate your life and your walk with God. So if I were to pull what the body is and what it does, probably you're going to come up with like these sort of things. It's the five senses. It's the seeing. It's the hearing. It's the feeling. It's the tasting, which, by the way, Sister Jolie brought puppy chow and uh, pumpkin cream cheese muffins. See what I mean? Experts are always contradicting each other. <laughs> it's pumpkin season. So this is your body. This doesn't take a lot to understand because we live it every day. We, we hear things, we see things, we, we feel things, we taste things, we smell things. In your body, and you'll see these three things show up in a little later chart. These are, this may not be the right spiritual terminology, but I think it's, they're, they're spiritually inert things. Seeing is not sinning. Hearing is not sinning or you know, just the, the, the audible vibration of, of sound coming through the little tiny hairs in your ear, that's not right or wrong. It's just something that happens physically. But these things, if they're uncontrolled, can get us into deep trouble, can stunt our growth and keep us in spiritual immaturity. If your appetites are too strong, if your physical senses, if you're depending, if you're sensual, or if there's too much world consciousness and not enough heaven consciousness. So, you've got body, and now let's talk about soul for just a second. Elisha, Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, The Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they, come, they came to Jericho. I think it's interesting, he doesn't say, So thy spirit liveth, or so thy body liveth. He just calls out that a soul exists. And as your soul lives, it's something that's going to last forever. It was kind of like a promise or even a swear. Like, as your soul liveth, I'm not going to leave you. That's 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 4. I'm just pointing out that the idea of soul is not just, you know, like Taylor Swift doesn't have a corner on soul, on the idea of soul, right? Soul is not just feeling. It's not just a song. It's not just, you know, the back of a Hallmark card. Soul is a thing, and it's you. It's what you are. It says... In Psalm 19 and 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It doesn't say converting the spirit, although I think we are regenerated in our spirit. It doesn't say much about the body, although we know that the gifts of the spirit exist, so bodies can be healed and bodies can be strengthened and new limbs can grow out. So all those things can happen, but the law of the Lord is perfect and it's 
purpose is to convert your soul. Your soul needs to be converted. Fear not him that can destroy body, but, but fear him that can destroy the soul. There's really only one that can destroy the soul, and that's the Lord God Almighty, right? So the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. In another chapter in Psalm, chapter 84, verse 2, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of, of the Lord. Isn't that part of better is one day in your house is the bridge or one of the verses? That's where that song comes from. My soul longeth and even fainteth for the courts of my Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. And then in Mark, Jesus said these words, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? If you gain the whole world, there's a lot of flesh to that. Hey, other room, bro. <laughs> Love you, Cameron. <laughs> what shall it profit a man if you gain the whole world? That sounds like a lot of fleshly appetites. That sounds like a lot of world consciousness. But yet you lose your own soul. Probably your soul, probably you as a soul, is the most valuable thing that you are connected to in your life is the soul. Okay, so you see how we're kind of like building layers here. Body, soul, and spirit. Some scholars think that we're a, a, a bichotomous being as opposed to a trichotomous being. So they kind of blend soul and spirit together. That may be right. It may be right. It may be right. Technically, I think biblically, there's more that shows it's three. But it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. So Job 32 and verse 8 says this poetic statement. It is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty. You'll see a little bit later, but I, I really want to hammer this part home. And again, this is just my opinion, and it's just for the sake of discussion. I'm not saying this is absolute. But it seems to me that since God is a spirit, the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the deep, and that you have a spirit, and that He gave you that spirit, and it returns back to God when you die, that you might argue that the component of you that is spirit is the part of you that is most like God. It's, it's the life in you. It's the breath of the Almighty. So I'll just pause just for one quick second and say, know ye not that ye are a temple of the Holy Ghost. We were just talking to some guys the other night coming back from pickleball, and you know that whole vehicle was full of smack talk. I mean, that's just how it goes, right? And we were talking about a friend that doesn't take good care of himself. And it's like, man, and, and you need to have some dudes in your life and some gals in your life when you can talk this straight. Like, you wouldn't drink, and you wouldn't smoke, and you wouldn't do those sort of things because you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. So why don't you go to the doctor, dude? <laughs> like, why don't you get some of these things taken care of? Because you're a temple. That's, that's what this is pointing to. At some point, you're going to die in the spirit, the life force, this generic thing that's inside of you that's not your identity, but the thing that's keeping you breathing and alive and, and, and cognizant and making a connection with your soul so that it communicates back through your body, this part is going to go away, but it's in you right now. So not only, Brother Merrick, do we have to make sure that we fast and pray enough, and it's not like you keep score with God, but we ought to fast and pray. Not only that, we ought to not watch certain things. 
And, and we ought to not think certain things and we ought to not do certain things. And I'm not your pastor. And this is not like clothesline type of, you know, hey, you, you're, you're saved by works. None of that. But what I'm saying is if you want to be spiritually mature, you have to constantly remember that I'm a temple of the Holy Ghost. E- even when I don't want to be. And sometimes I hate God. <laughs> like and probably sometimes you do, too. I mean, I think Paul did at times. He's like. Man, I'm trying to do good and end up doing bad. And I, what a wretched man that I am. I mean, he was this close from like cursing his born days. Of course, we don't hate God when we calm down, but the flesh is at war with the Spirit of God. Like war, not just resistance. Like war, sin nature in us. Paul says to the Corinthians, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? It's, it's deep down inside. Okay. In Proverbs 20 and verse 7, again, wisest man to ever live, it says, The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all his innermost parts. James 2, for as the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is dead also. James, in the context, is focusing more on faith without works is dead. If you read the context, that's what he's really focused on. And to get you to understand that, he's going to call upon something that he's assuming that everybody with common sense knows. And that is that the body is dead without the spirit. What are you saying, Brother Mac? All I'm saying is, I think we're body, soul, and spirit. I think we are. Okay? And this is a fascinating passage in Hebrews. For the word of God is quick. And we've heard this quoted tons of times and probably preached tons of times. And we probably don't think about it nearly enough. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We can understand that. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Interesting. I don't think they can be one and the same. I think they're separate. I think Paul, I think if Paul wrote Hebrews, which I think he did, He's trying to get us to see that, hey, the Word of God is so sharp and so focused and so scalpel-esque that it can actually divide between those two things, soul and spirit. Nothing else can, by the way, but the Word of God can. It can also divide between the joints and the marrow. I don't think you can even tell the difference sometimes when the joints and the marrow are that close together at some point. Like, keep looking, keep looking, magnify, magnify, magnify. It's like there's... It's like at the atomic level, probably, before you actually can see the difference between the two things. But the Word of God can divide those two things. So, here we go. Here's why this all matters. This, the fact that this is a picture of the earth has absolutely nothing to do with this lesson. Okay? So just know that. Other than, I wanted to, I wanted to point to what a cross-section is. Because when you say cross-section, you know, some folks know what that means and can grasp the abstract of that. This is a cross-section of the earth. We're not here to learn geography or whatever that science is. This is a cross-section of a piece of wood. Hickory. Geography. Did I say geography? Is that what I said? 
I'm like, okay, so the whatever it was, it wasn't that funny, but something else, and I, I played it back in my mind. Oh, what would it be, geology? <laughs> we just know it's not geography, right? So this is another cross-section of a, of a tree or a, or a limb. And what's this, Sister Ray? Botany? <laughs> The idea is you're just looking at a cross-section. That's the whole point. So I want you to think cross-section, cross-section, cross-section. Okay, that's, that's what I'm trying to get at. So for all the vegetableologists in the room, this is a carrot. <laughs> so carrot, right? And this is the cross-section of the carrot. So if you lay the carrot down on the table and you cut it, it looks like that's a cross-section, right? If you lay that tree limb down, you cut it, it's going to have the rings and you count the rings. That's a cross section. This is a pretty decent representation of the cross section of a human being. It, it doesn't have to be absolute. I don't think humans will ever know 100% certain. I know we have a psychologist in the room, Dr. Burkhead, and she's going to probably, you know, butcher this up a little bit later. But I think, no, she's a counselor. <laughs> she said who? <laughs> She's been married like 10 days. So, so again, it doesn't much matter. Like, don't get hung up on, oh, that's not totally accurate. It might not be. But trying to put this picture together and see an image, and, and there's, there's a fascinating book called Say It With Charts, and it's usually word, used in the business world. And it basically says if you put a bunch of words on the page, it's not really going to mean much if you, if you show a picture or something then maybe it'll speak to us a little bit better. So here's what, I, here's what I've thought of this subject for the past, call it 24 years, how I've tried to live my life, how I've tried to teach my girls, how we tried to plant a church, how I've tried to just walk with God if it's just me and him in a car. I think this is how we work. We have body, we are soul, and we have spirit. And from the passages that we've read before, the Spirit is your life force. It's the breath of the Almighty. When you die, it's gone. There's no more life force there. So, so you probably could call it life force. It's what keeps you going. It's your nuclear power. It's your motor. It's also your God consciousness. Because I think when God gives us spirit, which you can argue when that happens, some might say, oh, it's when that baby takes the first breath after it's born. I think it's if there's an oxygen atom in the, during the conception, I think that's when a soul becomes a soul. Like, at conception, whenever that is exactly, I think it's at conception. There's God consciousness there. Doesn't it say in Romans chapter 12 that He's given to every man the measure of faith? I don't think that's necessarily saying women don't have it. I think it means mankind. So every single human that's ever breathed has some measure God consciousness. And that's also your spiritual senses. It, it's, it's at your very, it's, it's way down deep inside. And there are probably times when soul and spirit sort of like commingle and they're like homogeneous and they're blending together. But I break it down in this cross-section view so we can kind of see how it all works together and how it functions. Your soul, as C.S. Lewis, the pipe smoker, said, is your identity. That's who you are. It's your personality. 
And it's your self-consciousness. Was it Shakespeare or somebody else that said, I think, therefore I am? Who said that? Of course he knows. I have no idea, but I'm just asking. Just so, so this is your self-consciousness. This is who you are. After your body's gone, because, you know, we're all going to go sometime. And, and heaven forbid, and we don't like to think about that because it's just terrible. But our body turns to dust, and our spirit goes back to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 12, 7. Like Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, said that's what happens. But what lives on is your identity and your personality and your self-consciousness. In eternity, you have a beginning. Eternal really means no beginning, no end. Everlasting means it had a beginning of you and me. And then it lasts forever. This is who you are. And then, of course, your body, your appetite, your physical and your world Now, here's another little tease out. I think that your mind is, is closest to your spirit. If, if it's not closest in proximity, it's closest in influence. So that way, when we have the Holy Ghost, we can have the mind of Christ. So our mind can connect with the mind of Christ, which is not super easy to do if you're carnal. <laughs> right. So again, please, this is just as an example to think about these things. We don't have a microscope that shows us this. Your mind is then connected or, or, or next to your will. You're not going to will something if you don't first think something. Yes. When you are faced with two choices, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Deuteronomy, you either choose blessing or you choose cursing. When your mind says, yes, I repent then your will is informed by that decision and then you grit your teeth and you put your stake in the ground and you say i have decided to follow jesus i will take i will take up my cross and then when you think about something when you set your affection on things above not on the things of this world the thing that you invest time thought time thought resource decision whether it's easy or not, if your will is fixed, you're going to feel it. And then it's interesting that in this chart, which, by the way, again, lots of other scholars have put this chart. I, I basically stole copyright infringed this chart from other people. This is not my original work. Doesn't it make sense? Now, again, there are times maybe when this is swimming around like soup. I don't know. But physiologically, like when I feel stress, I don't feel it in my spirit first, probably. I, my, my, I feel it in my body. I sweat. I, you know, you, you tense up. It's all those things. It's a physical thing, right? And so here's, here's really, here's, here's the point. If you're going to be spiritually mature, spiritually mature, then you have to be spiritual. Right? Because this 
I'm the most bodily mature person in the room. I'm 48. <laughs> I'm 48 years old. Anybody older than 48? I sometimes don't act mature. I know. This is going to mature regardless. You're going to, you can't escape physical maturity. And you're racing the clock. It's appointed unto every man who wants to die. My once Thanksgiving, my brother-in-law, Greg, I don't know if this is accurate because sometimes he can just make stuff up and I'm like, you got the PhD, I don't know. But he said that he kind of described the aging process like this, physical aging, that when you're born, you've got like this set of cells and probably even at conception, but let's just call it like zero days old, 12 hours old. Over the course of zero days old to seven years, your, body's keep, your body keeps like replicating cells, right? That's how you grow. You, you're, you're reaching toward maturity, timeline, and you go from zero years old, seven years old, 14 years old. About seven-ish years go by and your body replicates again. Have you ever made a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy? It would be one thing if at 48 I could replicate my six-month-old cells. Wouldn't that be sweet? It would be like the curious life of, what's that dude? Benjamin Button. The guy that never ages. It's like Juan Ponce de Leon, the fountain of youth. But as, you, as your body continues to age, the cells continue to replicate, and now... You're a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, and it, the quality degrades. Because the day that you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. There was something introduced into the human genome when Adam and Eve ate that fruit in the garden, and they decided to let their flesh when they decided to not be spiritually mature, and now we're living in that curse right now. This is going to happen no matter what. The battle that Paul fought, the battle that we should fight, is that our spirit connects with God's spirit by the infilling of the Holy Ghost. By the infilling of His spirit, so that when somebody is teaching the Word of God, it's not just coming in through the ears and through the feeling of the pages and the smell of the musty, but yet it's, it's talking to the part of us that's so deep inside there that you can barely identify it, barely put words to it, barely even describe what it is, but it's there. And then when you sing songs, when you hear preaching, when you read words, it, you could hear a song on Caleb and something quickens, not the dog on Caleb, I know, but you, something quickens in your spirit. Now, all of a sudden, your life force is connected with God. And all of a sudden, like it's almost like your flesh doesn't much matter anymore. You're still driving a car. You're still talking with someone, perhaps. You're still making audible noises. But now your spirit is communing with the spirit of the Creator. And when that happens, revelation comes. Illumination comes. Conviction comes. Isn't it interesting that when 
in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus was going to teach the disciples how to pray, he's like, hey, don't go stand on the street corner and pray out loud like the hypocrites do, because they're going to receive their reward. They're going to feel it in their physiology. They're going to feel the eyes on them, and they're going to feel like, I'm the grandest, and you know, they're just parading around, I fast, and I pray, and I give. What does Jesus say? Go to the closet. Go to the inside, the innermost part of the house. When they're in the closet, that's not where you put the trophies that you want everybody to see. That's where you put the things that you like to keep secret in case guests stop by. You don't keep mop buckets on the coffee table. You keep that stuff back in there, sort of like concealed. Jesus is like, I want to go all the way in to the secret place. I want to make you a spiritually mature Christian. I want to influence your spirit. And I want to influence in such a way that instead of all the outside stuff, and this is where, and again, this is not a holiness class at all. It's not my job to teach holiness here. But for a decade, I led a youth group in Connecticut. And there were always those that always wanted to know, like, how close can they get to the edge without it being sin? right? I get it. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I was 14 years old once too. I didn't even ask the question. I just blazed right through the red lights, <laughs> right? At least they had the respect to ask the question. But think about this. When we're always wondering like, well, you know, how close can I get? That's spiritually immature. That, that's led by body. Again, I, it's dangerous because now you, you got all these opinions, but I don't know that there's an issue like with facial hair, right? But in the UPC lot for a long time, we're in this church in Connecticut and this guy comes in a long, long story short of how we, we, we won his soul to the Lord and his whole family. It was awesome. And he had facial hair and, and he came in and he's like, Hey, wh why don't all the guys like nobody has any facial hair? Is that like wrong? And we were like, we don't think there's anything wrong with it. Like, I don't even know why we didn't. I don't because it takes me eight years to just get like a five o'clock shadow. <laughs> but this guy, Al, he used to work for DHL. And, and one time he rolled up on our house and he was making a delivery. This was before Amazon. And literally I tripped over Amazon boxes on my way to church tonight, by the way. So I hear this like bumping music in the driveway. And it's like, doom, doom, doom. And I'm like, bro, DHL is like, He's listening to some Lecrae or something. Like, he's rapping today. This guy, Al, gets out of the car, and he's playing Shout to the Lord. Remember we used to sing that song in church once in a while? <laughs> Shout to the Lord, all the earth. He's got just blasting. And the DHL walls of the truckers, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Al had shaved. And it's like, we didn't care. Nobody cared. And we certainly never taught it. But for some reason, he felt like he wanted to do that for God. And it's like, you know what? That's this. Whatever it is. I've had my, my own things. Like, I, I, we don't have time to enumerate, but there are some things that I think are perfectly fine that I've decided, you know what? For me, I'm just not going to do it. Because of this. And that's what I urge you to do. 
feel after God as an individual. Seek Him. Pray. Think about Him. Meditate. Read. Study the Word. Fast. Try to be a spiritual person so that the Spirit of God informs your mind, substantiates your will, and then you start feeling the things that you invest in the most. When I've met people like through counseling and, and even witnessing, they're like, I don't know, man, I just don't feel the presence of God anymore. I'm like, well, you think it might be Netflix? <laughs> I mean, you think maybe that's influencing your spirituality right now? I'm not making any judgment at all about any of those things. But if you're going to be spiritually mature, then we shouldn't need a spiritual policeman to try to keep us saved all the time. I guess is my point. Probably could have just said that one statement and then left. But do you see what I'm saying? Like, I want to be spiritually mature. Who cares if you know body, soul, spirit? This is just all an idea of what I think the Scripture tells us how we work and how we operate. What we need to know, Brother Hunter, at the end of the day, is can I stand before God and with integrity say, God, I sought your spirit. I hungered after you. I, 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 I took to heart that verse that says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We've got to move kind of fast here. So here's, here's some words. These are attributes of the three stages of life development. You have, and we've, did it, we've done it in Arabic, so we're going to start right and go left. <laughs> your body, your world consciousness. If this is what drives you, then you're probably a spiritual infant. I think you can be saved and the following weekend be well on your way to spiritual maturity, but man, it doesn't happen very often. A lot of times, if we're not stuck in spiritual infancy, then we intermittently go back there quite frequently. If, if it's just your soul, which is your mind and your will and your emotions, then, then you're probably stuck in an adolescent spiritual stage. But if your spirit is in tune with God's Spirit, and if you're listening and feeling after the Spirit of the Lord, which comes to us from His Word, through prayer, through fasting, if that's what's driving you as an individual, now you're marching towards spiritual maturity. If you're an infant, you're selfish by necessity and by choice. And, and we can go a million miles down the road with examples. If you're an adolescent, you're starting to be a little bit of both. You're selfish, but you also make some choices sometimes that, that might show flickers of growth. But if you're spiritually mature, then you're self, selfless by choice and by necessity. If you read all the way down the chart, it just seems to make so much sense. In, in maturity, you know that life's purpose is reproduction, which means conceive, grow others to the point where they can now support and they can reproduce. So the whole cycle... And then if you're an adolescent, it's just like, hey, dude, here we are, man. You know, I can play in the rock band and the church band. And it's like, sweet, dude. I'm just kind of making stuff up. Like, I'm not judging anybody, but I'm just saying it's kind of like it's kind of like you're lukewarm. It's kind of like you're lukewarm. And, and it's kind of like you deceive yourself a lot. When you're lukewarm, you're lying to yourself all the time. And that's why I said, hey, I'd rather you be hot or cold. And then this last one here. It's interesting. I'll just point out a couple of things here. I'm happy to share this PowerPoint and you can kind of read this on your own. But 1 John 2, 16 through 17 talks about 
the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it does stand to reason that if you're an infant, then the lust of the flesh is usually your trip. And if you're an adolescent, usually it's lust of the eyes. Like that's usually the thing that trips you up the most. And then if you're, if you're spiritually mature, usually it's pride of life. Because you know what can also be difficult if you're spiritually mature? You know you're spiritually mature. I'm spiritually mature, bro. And then interesting, that 1 Corinthians 13, did I not copy the verse? I don't think I did. But it talks about faith, hope, and charity. And the greatest of these is charity. Faith, if you think about the plan of salvation, is, is, is synonymous with conception. You must believe that He is when you come to Him. And then hope, it just, like even the very definitions of the word seem to fall in line with baby, adolescent, maturity, spiritual maturity. It's way past the time that I wanted to stop. Does this make sense? I personally would consume it if I were you. I would think about it. I would meditate on it. I would pray about it, dispute it, chop it up into bits. However, you want to reorganize this in your mind and your walk with God. I feel like what the world needs now is not another program, solution, another worldly solution. What the world needs is for somebody to just be spiritually mature and and lead them to salvation, lead them into a deeper walk with God. Can we pray just for a moment? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness, God. Lord, thank you for these sweet people and their tolerance, God, and their patience tonight. We just pray, Lord, that this word would be applied to our lives, Lord. We want you to sink the plow deep, and we want you to work on us, Lord. We want to be spiritually mature people. We want to walk with you. We want to be active, Lord, and not just active, but productive in your kingdom, Lord Jesus. I want you to talk to every one of us tonight, God, as we go our separate ways, Lord. Speak to everyone. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.